Welcome in, welcome in. Shortly after nine o'clock on your Tuesday night. Appreciate everybody joining in inside Carolina. I can hear myself echo. We're already messing it up. Adam, that's Adam Smith. I'm Tommy Ashley. First half of this show, or the first little bit of this show, we're going to talk about the Tez Walker situation, eligibility issue. Of course, I'm Tommy, Adam, Jason Staples will join us a little bit. And what do I always say at this point? We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Make sure you take care of them. They take care of us. Rate, review, subscribe, all the good stuffs. Like this YouTube video. Everything you do in that regard helps Inside Carolina get to more people and get more information to you. So check it out. Adam Smith first, Adam, because quite frankly, um, what what did you do today? I, <laughs> I mean, I felt like, you know, we're going to go and we're going to watch a little bit of practice. We're going to see the guys hit. We're going to see, uh, you know, what it looks like out of shorts and T-shirts. Going to get a little Gene Chizik action. Right. And then it sort of <laughs> goes off the rail when we see Mac Brown walking towards the podium. I mean, I had the thought today when I was uh, coming back here to lovely Mebane, North Carolina from Chapel Hill, that it's August the 8th. Like, good Lord. <laughs> like, I mean, they've had six practices and um, here we are. Our heads are spinning. But it's interesting that you that you make that point, Tommy, because I think that that's I think we were talking about it. I think that's what you first were kind of like, what's going on here? Because obviously the, the fine folks with UNC football and. Jeremy Sharp, who coordinates the media stuff and helps us out with a ton of stuff. You know, they set they set up a nice preseason schedule. You have it. I have it in our emails. We know who, you know, the practices we're going to get to be at and the guys we're normally going to get to talk to. And today was supposed to be Gene Chizik Day, um, which I and thought it was like and it was like, oh, goody. Right. I thought that could have been eventful uh, <laughs> or, you know, it has the makings of being eventful. And um, then, you know, you're, there's for, for, for our loyal audience, you know, you, you, we sort of, uh, sort of uh, head over to one end of the indoor practice facility where they have a little a podium for people to stand at that we talk to. And when Max started, like, exactly like you said, when Max started making his way, I was thinking, what is this about? And then I was thinking like, well, you know, Will Hardy's been hurt. Legend Cavazos is hurt now. DeAndre Boykins and and Antavius Lane didn't practice today, which that's pretty newsworthy. Uh, I was thinking, well, maybe Mac wants to just sort of put the head coaching spin on where they are, like with their, you know, positionally when their injury report. And then, you know, I was telling you, I, I happened to see at the very top of sheet, it said in all caps, Tez Thoughts. And then I was like, what in the hell is this? And then... <laughs> And then we found out because I was like, what could these test thoughts be? But here wow. we are. <laughs> yeah, here we are, of course, folks. If you're watching this, um, you've had to have heard Devontae Walker, North Carolina's preseason all ACC wide receiver, um, with the expectations of that without having played a snap for North Carolina in his career 
um, now ineligible or currently ineligible by the NCAA transfer issues. Just as a recap, and Adam, if I misstate something, correct me, please. Um, but I think the facts are important in this situation. And Mac certainly laid them out today. And if, if folks are watching this and haven't listened to Mac Brown and Lonnie Galloway as well, go check out those YouTubes. They're up at Inside Carolina, of course. Goes to uh, – commits to East Tennessee State. Gets hurt, is is told that he's going to gray shirt, and then he's hurt, injured. Eventually, that offer is pulled from East Tennessee State. Pulled may be a harsh word, but for whatever reason, I can say I, I would say it was pulled. He doesn't go to, in, to East Tennessee State. He ends up going to North Carolina Central, where he enrolls at Central. Central's co- uh, football season is canceled due to COVID, as were you know, other schools in that conference, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that entire conference didn't play, or most the of them didn't play. The FCS, you know, it used to be one double-A. Entire FCS didn't play, you know, no matter if it was Spencer Rowland at the Ivy League or North Dakota State, you know, the entire FCS, they yeah. they did not play that fall. Some of them yep. played in the spring, but keep going. So, so he does not have an opportunity to play a game at Central. He ends up at Kent State where he plays a couple years there. Freshman year, so-so, sophomore year, blows up and is uh, just unbelievably good. And hold on a second, Adam. I've got to get rid of my bot that comes in here. How, how crazy is that? <laughs> you know you've made it when you've got though. randos. I know. It's funny. I didn't read it before I deleted it. But anyway. It was brutal goes to- with just Adam. <laughs> got to get staples in here. Oh, dang. They're hammering, <laughs> they're, they're hammering you already. I'm going to have to stand up for my friends just like, uh, you know, don't make us go Alabama um, doc and have to take out some trouble on folks. Uh, Anyway, goes to Kent State, has a great year, announces in December he's going to transfer from Kent State to get closer to home. The entire – well, the majority of Kent State's coaching uh, staff is leaving. He wants to get home to his grandmother. He – Comes back to North Carolina, commits to North Carolina, enrolls at North Carolina on January the 9th. And then the NCA changes the rule on January 11th to quote unquote tighten the transfer rules process for all that. And here we are. They filed a waiver for Tez to be immediately eligible. He is not at this point. The appeal has been filed. What else? Is there to take from that, Adam? Other than the NCAA, um, they do not work quickly unless you're Cam Newton. We have a situation <laughs> here where a young man has okay. done everything right, as Lonnie Galloway said and Max said. He's done great in school. He's uh, been a perfect teammate. He's done everything right on the football field and off. He's got family issues where, you know, Finances and health have prevented his grandmother from ever seeing him play in a game. Just a lot going on here. And you got a situation now where his eligibility and, quite frankly, his college career, given his skill set, uh, is up in the air. I have a lot of thoughts, Tommy. So I do, too. So that was my tempered thought, by the way. Well, please interrupt. Like, jump in here and interrupt <laughs> me when, you know, if we need to flesh something out or you just need me to shut up so you don't hear my silly voice talking. Um, I, yeah, I got a lot of thoughts it, just on what you were sort of finishing up with the grandmother. That, that is a thought I had today, you know, with the dust settling was that, I mean, UNC came out with 
what was it? A seven paragraph, 700 word statement from Tez with revealing this news today. I mean, they were prepared uh, for this. This wasn't some haphazard thing they slapped together. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, Mac, Lonnie Galloway, they are sort of, in addition to stating the facts, I felt like they're also sort of making a, a sentimental or emotional case. They're sort of appealing to whoever at the NCAA uh, would be looking at this, their, you know, human side, I would say, with with Tez. I mean, they both Mac and Lonnie and Tez in the statement all talked about the mental health aspects of this. You know, Lonnie told us the story that he saw Tez one day at practice right after they got the news and he could tell something was wrong. And the next thing you know, he asked him and he's crying. He's crying on Lonnie's shoulder. I felt like this was sort of a, you know, an emotional plea from Carolina today. I don't, I hope I'm not overstating that, but they were in addition to laying out the facts, I felt like they were trying to play on the heartstrings a little bit and say, look, this is not wrong in a lot of, this is not right in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one thought. I noticed somebody I've lost it in the chat, but one of our guys here had a free, free Tez hashtag. Yeah. I've that's, seen that pop up. <laughs> that's another thought I've had is that if, if, if UNC fans, weren't excited about Tez Walker or liked him already, even though he hasn't played a snap. I mean, he has become a fan favorite today. You know, like if yep. he, if he, if the appeal is, is uh, granted and he does get to play, I feel like, you know, he's going to be, he's going to get some nice, nice cheers in, in Keenan and wherever. Um, but, and that was another thing with, with his grandmother situation who, you know, we told Jeremiah Holloway wrote a beautiful long form feature on Tez this summer. Um, that she, the, his grandmother played a big role in his upbringing. I'm not sure what exactly her health situation is, but Max said, you heard it today, Max said they had already made plans at Keenan of where she might get to sit. I don't know what what that entails. If she's if she has a wheelchair, I don't know. Um, but, you know, it, it you know, it, that's just classic Mac. He's talking about how they'd already made plans for where she might sit. Um, you know, in terms of the hard core of what's going on with the NCAA, I just wonder, you saw the kid from Florida State today that that had the waiver um, denied. You know, I, I just wonder, I mean, are these blanket waiver denials they're issuing and then you have to appeal as part of the process, even if you have sort of an airtight case? I have no idea. Like, that was just a thought I had. Like, is an appeal somehow part of the whole I don't know, bureaucratic process of this thing? I don't know. It just seems, um, you know, my thing with this, and I, okay, Florida State guy played at two different P5 schools. I believe he was at Maryland first, and I could be wrong. Transferred, played, and then he wanted to transfer home for family reasons. So a little bit different, but kind of the same. But my thing with the NCAA here is they basically let anybody do everything. And now they want to come back. I mean, it's classic NCAA, right? Yeah. It, it's, uh, it we're going to let all the cows out of the barn for the country folks in here and all the horses out of the barn and the cows out of the pasture. And then we're going to decide when they're all down the road, well, we got to figure out how to get them back in. So let's slam the last one up and not let him get out. I mean, it, it's a situation to your point about Carolina and Mac and that their approach. And, and I think, you know, Part of this is to put pressure on the NCAA from outside yeah. forces, and I 
see the point of that. Um, the NCAA preaches. We see these commercials all the time about student athletes and all that. And they consistently make weird rulings that are anti-student athlete. And that's what I do not understand. And I could sit here and recite ones we, we've seen over the years. Um, and, and it happens across the board. It's just random. It seems like it's random to me. And the interesting question that I had and nobody can answer is who makes these decisions? What human being makes this decision at the NCAA? Everybody says, well, the NCAA ruled. Who is that? Is it Charlie right. Baker, the director? He's not making the decision. I wouldn't think. Um, but you've got, uh, you know, a compliance office or a clearinghouse offense, it, it, whatever. But let me get back to the player side of right. it. What, who is enforcing this? Who's the yes. Right. It, it, I, and that is what nobody seems to answer. That is the NCAA's problem. If there was somebody that put their final stamp on stuff that people could point at and either bitch at or congratulate, then I think it would be easier to deal with and to understand. But anyway, Cam Kelly, North Carolina, yes. former North Carolina yep. player. Auburn transferred to Carolina, transferred to Virginia, correct? Correct. Transferred to Louisville. Yep. JT Daniels. Oh, my goodness. Southern Cal. Southern Cal, Georgia. I can't yep. remember which order, but one Is of those two. Southern Cal first, I believe. Or maybe West Virginia. One or the other. Did he start at Southern Cal, go to Georgia, Georgia, Southern, Southern Cal, Cal, then Georgia, I think. And so then he ends up at West Virginia. Correct. Because I remember specifically watching West Virginia and Pittsburgh thinking, dang, it's the Southern Cal Bowl. We're watching uh, Keaton Slovis from mm -hmm. Pitt play against, <laughs> and, and now he is at Rice. Yeah. Yes. And they're eligible. And we can say they graduated. That's I understand graduate transfers are different, but that's four schools. That's what – That's what. So, and you've seen the comments over here too. That's what – if you're just a fan, which we all are, <laughs> we all are a fan of this sport, um, and you, you, you take the graduate transfer side of this into the equation, it just gets even nuttier with, with what you just laid out. With, yeah. you know – I mean, if you think about – Cam Kelly or Storm Duck, and I'm not trying to talk bad about him, but each of those guys has transferred twice since December. And since, you know, since last, the regular season ended, they've done it twice in however many months. <laughs> like, you know, and they're eligible, right? Right. Oh, they, right. They're eligible. They're, they're grad transfers. They're, uh, they're eligible. And, oh, yeah. you know, like you throw the, you know, you throw the COVID season where the NCAA said anyone can transfer. You know, you cannot play and you can play and not lose a year of eligibility. You cannot play and not lose a year of eligibility. You know, it's there's just so many factors that are confusing, I think, yeah. um, to the whole thing. And UNC, obviously, I saw somebody make the comment that we that I see should have let us know this, like, it, when Tez Walker arrived, I think they, they thought, as, as was the word slam dunk, I think Max said no-brainer. Mm -hmm. They thought it was a no-brainer that he would be eligible and can play. They wouldn't have gone out and got him if they thought he was going to have to sit out. You know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't have done exactly. that. Um, and then you throw in the January 9th versus the January 11th factors in here. I mean, we could write a syllabus on this thing. Yeah, and then you have a situation where players and, and – 
you know, at this point, we sit and wait and see what they're going to do. But you got a situation where Kent State and all their people have have approved Tez coming to North Carolina. They are all for it. They're all in on it. Right, and Max pointed that out. Right. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. and when you have a situation like that where the former school is all in on a kid going home and getting that, these are slam dunks. The only thing, and I'll say this, Adam, and and I could be wrong here. It is interesting that it's come to this, that it had to be brought to the media, brought to the public. It makes me feel like they're a little worried that maybe the NCAA is not going to grant this. I don't know if that's a a fair take. I certainly think it's something that the public and the media need to be in on because the NCAA needs their feet held to the fire as much as possible. We've seen that over the years. But this is a, you know, this is a play to sort of to put some pressure to get a quick resolution on this. But it's not necessarily, and like Max said, and I and I believe this, it, it certainly affects North Carolina on the football field. Don't get me wrong. It is a big blow, and Jason Staples and I will talk about it a little bit later in this show as well. It is detrimental to North Carolina's football chances. But this is about Tez Walker, like Max said, and anybody like him that has been through what they've been through over the last three or four years as not only – um, a, a college football player or a student athlete, but young people in general. And it's time for the old folks, the grown folks in the room that I say all the time, to do something that makes some sense so the young generation, the young folks, can understand what they're supposed to do. Because Walker's done everything he's supposed to do. Lonnie Galloway talked about his grades. He wasn't right. the best student in high school, but he's busted his butt in college. And he's done well in, in school at two places now. What more do you ask for him to do as a person, as a student, as a young man? And they're all about the student athlete? I mean, come on. And I have it to makes, say, it makes no sense. I have to say that that what you were hinting at or what you were sort of tiptoeing toward was hey, if he's technically ineligible to play in games right now, he can practice all he wants. Uh, you know, that's not an issue. Um, like Tamari Fox last year. He practiced all last year, even though he was ineligible. Um, but if he's ineligible playing games right now, it, for as much confidence as, as Mac projected today, um, I think you got to be concerned that they won't uh, grant the appeal just because technically he's on the wrong side. You know, it's like the NCAA tournament bubble. Technically he's on the wrong side of the, of that ledger right now. And, um, I asked Mac, how, how concerned are you? How worried are you? And he said he wasn't, that he thought it was a no-brainer, thought it was a slam dunk. But, you know, I wonder how much, um, I wonder how much he really means that. Maybe he does. Uh, maybe he didn't want to project any sort of uh, doubt or allow any doubt to just be put out there. But um, I would be concerned that he won't, that he might not be able to play against South Carolina on September 2nd. What is what is it? Three. It's three and a half weeks from today, right? Is that right? Yep. Um, that they open the season, um, and it's a season with a, a lot of expectations attached to it. Uh, if if anybody has followed Carolina football over the years, um, they understand that it's always something. <laughs> 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 I've done this for. I mean, I'm uh, north of fifty now. <laughs> I've been doing this inside Carolina stuff for north of 25. It is always 
something. And maybe it's that way at every school in the world, um, but it always seems like there's something that goes on um, ahead of a season. This one, injuries happen, things like that happen. Uh, this is a bunch of BS, and the kids should be eligible to play. I mean, you've got guys that are playing college football for the seventh and eighth year across the country. I mean, this is ridiculous. And folks in the chat are mentioning in the tick, if there's any young folks um, in the chat that don't know what the tick is, uh, do some Carolina football history lesson, and you'll understand why that means something for North Carolina fans in a bad, bad way. Adam, anything else on the Tez Walker deal before um, I let you get some rest? You have been on it today. Look, folks, I got to see, and I've seen it a lot, but I got to see Adam and Jeremiah and Michelle and Jim Hawkins and Jalen and Ben at their finest today, <laughs> knocking, knocking out, um, you know, you go into something, thinking you're going to have, this is going to be our lead. We're going to talk about the defense. And then Tez Walker pops up. I mean, at Inside Carolina, there's no offseason. There's also no rhyme or reason sometimes with what you're going to have to cover. And, dude, you killed it today. And, oh. and uh, it was fun to be a part of it and fun to cover practice and, and to see that stuff up close. Anything left on Walker or anything else? Total team effort. I mean, if you think about it, I, I, I would encourage everyone. I know – all of our, you know, listeners and readers go to InsideCarolina.com all the time. But I think we had eight new content items today up, seven or eight. I don't know if I counted right. It was at least seven. It um, was a lot. You know, and Tommy, Tommy, to, to salute you, you know, we found out all this stuff. As soon as Mac and Lonnie are done, who's that doing a rapid reactions video? It's Tommy Ashley and Jeremiah Holloway and Jalen Harrell. I mean, I thought that was great. I mean, they're – People are trying to get their thoughts together. You guys are making a video about what you just heard and and listened to, and it's kind of you know, funny. It's not the right word. It's kind of uh, insane to think about. If you think about when we were going into practice this morning, we we're like, well, will we find out if Cavazos is hurt or not? Because we had heard that he might have been hurt. Seems like uh, a week ago. <laughs> I know point. it's like, wow, who is that? I mean, right. I, I mean, that's we were talking like, well, we, we see six out there. We, we see six on defense and oh, my goodness. But yeah, um, well, I, I, I'm just I have no way of knowing. I wonder when we will hear what the deal is, like when we will hear the results of the appeal. Will we hear it next week? Will it be game week? You know, like could this thing go up to, you know, are we going to be doing a Where's Waldo at Bank <laughs> of America Stadium? You know, like. You know, I just want, I personally, out of my personal curiosity, I wonder how far this thing goes. You know, where, yeah. when we find out, where we find out, if he's not granted the appeal, I think it's going to be crushing. Now, just as a, a housekeeping point, Mac told us today that uh, if he is not allowed to play this season by the NCAA, he still can play for UNC. Um he just has to sit this year out. It's two years of eligibility remaining. So I don't know if that eats up a year of eligibility if he does have to sit out this year or he sits out like you did. You remember in the 90s when you transferred, the 80s, and you everyone had to sit out, you know, yeah. when no one transferred. Um, I, so I don't know the the ramifications of all that. Um, there's a lot. A guy with his skill set, I think, I think he's straight to a trainer and straight to a – the combine NFL. prep 
yeah. But uh, we'll see how it shakes out. I know one thing, Adam and the rest of the Inside Carolina crew will be on it. So stay tuned for Inside Carolina's reporting on it. Um, as soon as the news is out there, you'll hear it at IC, and usually at IC first, first and right. It's a big deal. <laughs> so Adam, I'm go get- hitting the X button to let Staples get in here. Is that what I'm doing? I will. I will drop you out. I will. Okay. Um, remove you and then you can hit the X button down at the bottom of the screen and I'll bring Jason in here. But Adam, as, as I said earlier, appreciate it. Appreciate you taking time this evening, my friend. Yeah, Tommy. Always good. We'll see you soon. Yep. Laters. All right. All you right. Know, that guy's really good at what he does. <clears throat> he First day I've really had a chance to, to hang out with him at all. And it was good. Yeah. And uh, like I said, you know, it's fascinating to watch. People don't understand. Everybody's seen the video of the duck, right? The duck is on the top of the water. He looks graceful. He's cool looking. And then they show underneath the water and the feet are just going nuts. And that's how it is at Inside Carolina. And I'm not tooting too many horns um, because folks that are in this chat know. But if you're new to this stuff, um, you know, you need to be on it and understand what you're getting is just not normal. It is above and beyond um, the coverage aspect for North Carolina football, North Carolina basketball, and North Carolina baseball. I'll toot my own horn. We did a fair amount of baseball coverage last year. So, anyway, Jason, let's get into it. Um, you know, the legend Cavasso's out for undetermined period of time, has to have surgery um, on a lower body injury. They had a couple other secondary guys dinged up. First day in pads, those days happened. Let's start off here um, as we move away from Tez Walker first impression today just like we did last week you had a first impression what was your first impression today as we got to see the half of the first day in practice uh, in pads for North Carolina practice um you know first impression uh is that it was refreshing to see them get after it the way they did in inside run period mm-hmm. and watch the offensive and defensive lines really really try to play a fi- play physical I think you could see them trying to to put emphasis on that in the way that they played today on on both sides of the ball there. Uh, that's probably the the first thing to take away is just I mean, how many times in the offseason did I say, man, they need to spend a lot more time. There needs to be a focus on getting inside run period, put a couple tight ends on the field and just get after it and let that defensive line and offensive line go after each other and learn to play physical football inside the box a little better well they did that for a few periods today and uh you know saw those guys get after it a little bit i mean both sides had some things to clean up and you know you'd still like to see more overall physicality from some spots but uh you know there were some things that were that i took away from on that that you know i think uh i i think that was my my first takeaway watching it and i agree with you um Watching it is interesting to me, and you see guys go through individual drills or position group drills, and they have some success, and they um, they look good for the most part. Now, we watched them on the sleds and, and doing all that, and some look better than others, um, but where it really hits the road is where they're up against each other, and it's always, is the defense great and the offense stinks or vice versa? But on these inside drills, inside run drills, you get to see man on man what's going on. And 
watching that, your takeaway there. I, I think my biggest takeaway there, and this is a guy who I think will play and play a lot for North Carolina um, and is simply a great kid or young man, but also um, has some limitations due to his size, is Willie Lampkin looked fabulous in the drills. He had some issues in inside run. Um, he won some reps, but he got beat on some reps by guys like Miles Murphy. Um, just sort of speak to individually players on that offensive line you saw. And then conversely, we'll flip it and talk about the defense because I thought there were some some moments there as well. Yeah, you know, I think there there's definitely – coming out of the practice, there's definitely some concern on the offensive line in my view. Uh, there's there's a lot of room for that group, group to get better. Uh, now, as you said, how much of that is this team – got better on the defensive line. And so now they're the defensive line is, is, is just better. And so they're, be, they're winning some matchups against the offensive line. I mean, that's what you hope, right? You hope that the offensive line is, is, is a little better than, than they were last year. And the defensive line is so much better that they're just winning some battles anyway. That's what you hope. And it's hard to tell, <laughs> you know, it's hard Absolutely. to tell sometimes when you're playing yourself, which one it is. And you, you find out week one. Uh, but yeah, there, there are some concerns up front that, that I, I walked out with in terms, in terms of the offensive line, they still need to get better. Uh, Lampkin is one of those guys where I think you're going to see him play a lot. One of the things that we definitely saw today was he played all three positions on the interior. They rotated him at both guards. He started, you know, he's, he's starting out at one of the guard positions and then moving to another guard position and then, you know, starting another drive at center and, and sort of working as we kind of thought he would across all three interior positions. And so he makes them more vulnerable or more uh, versatile in there and deeper in there. Just one guy makes them a good bit deeper. Uh, but like you said, he did a couple times have some trouble anchoring on some of the inside drills and, and the one-on-ones against a guy like miles Murphy, who, one of the other takeaways that I had today was Murphy was, was more disruptive today than he was at any game last year. Yeah. So 100%. You know, I, I thought, and, and again, you, you know, the question is, okay, well, what does that say about Carolina's guards? I mean, does that mean that, that, you know, you got real problems there? The, the good thing about that is that I think we know how good, you know, we know where he, where he sort of sits, relative to the rest of the conference and the rest of the country with a guy who's, you know, what is he sixth year? Ed Montellus. Is he sixth year? Uh, is he? I th- I, hell, I can't keep up. He's just like we were or, talking he's, about. <laughs> he's, he's old. Yeah. He's either fifth or sixth year and he's played a lot of football. And so when miles Murphy is, is handling him the way that, you know, he handled everybody on the inside at different points today, you, you feel good about that. Uh, this was a really good practice for miles in my opinion. Um, another guy that really flashed to me up front and, you know, this is going to get the board, <laughs> all the Carolina fans who listen to this all excited, Gregory Hall over on, on the, on the left coast over there is going to be calling for a 36 sack NCAA record season after hearing this, <laughs> but it was the best I've seen 10 look. It was the best I've seen, uh, uh, Des Evans look and, uh, you know, he, he had imp- he had one in the pass rush drills. And the way that this drill works is, you you know, you line up the offensive line and the defensive line, and then they choose one of the guys to go one-on-one with the blocker across from him in a pass rush situation. So 
defensive end against the left tackle, other end against the right tackle. Then, you know, you're going to go with a deep with a defensive tackle against an interior player. And you're just going to let them, you know, do their pass block thing against a guy who's got a rush responsibility. And there's a specific call for each of those. Evans put on a spin move that I've not seen him use. I've seen him. I've seen him use a spin move a couple times. I've never seen him do it that well. And, you know, came completely just scot-free, uh, you know, on contact, just, you know, an automatic sack, although he's had some trouble finishing sacks in the past. It's an automatic sack with what he did. If he does that a couple times this year, you know, he's going to double his career sack numbers. Uh, and yeah, so he's a guy that stood out at different points, uh, stood out a little bit in the, in the, in some run fits on interior run as well, just with his length and physicality, he, you know, picked up kind of where he did last year. He ended last year playing pretty well in that area, but there were some things that were promising from some of those guys on the interior that have, that have always had some physical ability, but I thought played overall a little better today, just fundamentally. And in terms of, of stringing some good things together than I've seen from them. So that, that's the other, the other real takeaway uh, is, is a few good signs there. But again, the hard part is, okay, that spin move was really good. What happens if he's going against a all ACC offensive tackle? Is that actually going to come free there? Or is that guy just going to, you know, redirect him that that's, we don't know. It is the nature of the beast in, in practices, preseason practices is you don't truly know until what seven thirty on September 2nd, but you're right. He certainly looked better, um, made some moves. Folks are dropping in chat. And again, this is sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. That's Jason Staples. I'm Tommy Ashley. Um, visit Johnny T-Shirt. In fact, let me go ahead and do this before we get deep in the weeds. Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Sponsors of Inside Carolina and sponsors of mm. you, the Inside Carolina Premium Subscriber. If you're a premium subscriber, you get 10% off your order. Take care of them on Franklin Street. Go by there. Chapel Hill is fixing to be hopping. Next week, students move back. It's going to be wild on Franklin Street. A lot of people doing their shopping to get their young people some gear, getting their younger siblings gear, the parents gear. Do it at Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Let the national guys pay the bills. It's reaction. An eventful day, to say the least, for North Carolina in the first day of pads. We'll be right back. All right, Jason. This is where I said you and I were standing out there watching practice. And I said, all of this other stuff, talking about all the skill <laughs> positions and all, all of this pretty stuff out here doesn't matter at all. It matters. But Carolina's season hinges right here in that offensive line and defensive line. So let's stay here and talk about that. We mentioned Miles Murphy. We mentioned Des Evans. Um, we're going to talk about Travis Shaw and Zach Rice briefly because um, I love that kind of stuff. Um, we're going to talk about Tamari Fox. In fact, let's talk about Tamari Fox now. Yeah, I he would have been guy, the next guy on my list because he, he did some things today that were really positive. One thing he did is he picked uh, Marion Hampton up like a rag doll. Um, <laughs> and if he had slammed him, it would have been a team brawl. But anyway, just talk about what you saw from Fox as well, because I think he could be really good, maybe North Carolina's best defensive interior lineman. Tamari, <laughs> we were talking earlier. Tamari looks like he just got done doing like five to 10 at the joint, man. Like he, he is, he did work 
in that season where he was not able to play. <laughs> he just he stacked muscle on that he's not had. I mean, you got to remember with with Tamari. First of all, he's a really smart guy, right? We knew that coming in. We knew he was a, a really hardworking player, but he was always undersized. And he had to play right away as a true freshman because of a lack of depth. And one of the problems with interior guys when they play right away is it's really hard if you don't get that year early on to really build. Sometimes you get nicked up. You, you know, you just it's hard to gain and, and, and step into some of the things later on in your career that you want if you have to start playing right away. And if you're undersized, sometimes you just end up staying undersized longer. Well, he got his red shirt, right? And he came back and he does not look like the same body. Uh, so, and like you said, I mean, <laughs> there was that one play where Hampton came right through and he, you know, he's one-on-one with Hampton and just flat out picked him up and would have just suplexed him in a game but just kind of put him down like, there you go, son. <laughs> Run on back over there. And Hampton's not a small man, right? I mean, that's that's a powerful dude. So that stood out. Another one that stood out, though, was was he was one-on-one with, uh, I think it was Adorno in pass block. And he put a little little dip move on him on the interior where, you know, he, it, was, it, it's the, uh, it was similar to the, to the old ghost move. Uh, where if you're a little shorter on the interior, you can do that. And I'm not sure Adorno touched him. <laughs> right. Which I mean, again, is like, is that bad news or is that good news? Right. Right. That's the question. I mean, we, we don't know, but what I do know is if, if I'm coaching D line, I feel real good about what I just saw just in terms of how he did it, how he executed it with the footwork, dipping the shoulder underneath and avoiding the hands and being right at the spot where the quarterback's supposed to be. Like, that's a positive. Again, on the offensive side, for every positive the defense has, you know, you go, mm-hmm, you know, I don't know about that. That's concerning at a guard spot where, you know, there's some some concern. So, yeah, he's a guy that, that again, he, he's one of those guys that flashed. I mean, that's three guys in the defensive line that I think flashed on the day. Uh, so, and we've talked about all season, and you said it when we were, when we were looking at him, you know, there's the season. Well, half the half the battle is, you know, if you can get good defensive line play, this this the 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 uh, trajectory for the season or the ceiling for the season goes up pretty significantly. It just yeah, it just takes so much pressure off everybody else from the defensive backfield to the offense and all that. And and John Thorpe in the chat says, shouldn't Hampton have made Fox miss? You're not making people miss and not like not in not in a full booth there, not an inside yeah. run. <laughs> yeah, I mean that it is man on man. There is no room to miss anybody, and you that's the hole you're supposed like. That's the spot you're supposed to cut back to. You got to go north right there. I mean, this is short yardage stuff, guys. Yep. You know, you're not seeing backs at any level making a defensive tackle miss in the a gap on short yardage. You know, on third and one. That's not happening very often. The best you get is that guy is able to lower his shoulder and kind of get a deflecting, you know, run inside and and maybe break a little bit of an arm tackle or something. But generally speaking, a back is going to lose that battle if there's an if there's a you know <laughs> defensive tackle is just standing there. Yeah, and um, Tyler said was Fox primarily at zero technique or three technique? What'd you see? Uh, a little bit of both. 
Yeah, I think they're they're moving Mo- guys around to yeah. find mostly at zero from what I saw, but but he he played he played around. Yeah. So the defense. All right, let's talk about briefly. So they had this inside run drill going on, and Travis Shaw was matched up against Zach Rice, and, and we've banged on Zach Rice a little bit on these shows. Um, well, th- you're talking about this the little squaring up that was the in the pass rush. Yeah. Yeah, that was the pass rush deal, and. You know, they got tangled and they were pushing and fighting and got way back in the end zone. And, and Zach took a swing at him. And Shaw kindly reciprocated. And, and they sort of had to be they had to be separated. And and I thought to myself, these are two these are these two North Carolina five stars that we talk about all the time that they need to get going. And here we are. And they're face to face. I enjoy seeing that kind of stuff, Jason. And I know that, you know, you don't want your team hating each other and fighting each other, but the feistiness between the offense and the defense, not just at that position, but, you know, on the outside with, you know, the corners and the receivers and all. I, I like seeing that, especially this time of year. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, so coaches all over the world, all over the all over the uh, the NCAA, Division One, high school, whatever, will tell their team, well, I don't want you all fighting. And coaches all over the country are at least a little bit lying. <laughs> because They're in the back room going, did you see that? Boy, yeah, let's because go. what you want is you want guys that are passionate enough where it's spill, like it's just about to spill over all the time. And, you know, every so often it just spills over a little bit and, you know, a couple guys get, get chippy, you know, they're able to be separated. They shake hands afterwards, you know, good stuff, man. Good stuff. All right. You know, later on in the, in the locker room, they're good. That's what you want, but you want guys who care. And that's when you see it. Sometimes you see a guy in those two, it was not a situation where one guy got whipped and lashed out at the other. What you want is exactly that, where you had two guys battling and you know, getting real physical, and then the whistle blowing, and the and it not stopping quite fast enough for the one you know where he's happy. You know, the other one feels like he's being held a little bit, so they lock up just a little past that, and then they you know both exchange a little bit of uh, of uh, you know throw hands a little bit. That's fine in practice. That's fine. Now you emphasize to those guys, you better not do that ever in a game. Yep. You separate them and you say, look, this can't happen. On the, but at the same time, you're kind of looking at your other coaches going, well, you know, have my, uh, I still have some of my concerns about the toughness of the young buck and whether or not he really, you know, cares enough, whether he loves to be out here. But that right there, that, that's, that's a good sign. Now, again, veterans, that starts happening less, ideally, right? Because those guys learn to contain it so that when that starts to bubble to the surface, they just – put it into the next rep that's what you want you want to teach him to do that but especially with young guys every so often having that happen yeah i i can live with that that's okay that's that's yeah. football that's that's part of being being physical and 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 caring that's okay yeah you got to put it out there that i'm here this is what we're going to do if you want to go we'll go and like i said i like seeing that people are talking about you know that's the dog that we always talk about hey i they need to be feisty. They need to have that, especially on that defensive line and the offensive line, because those dudes are nasty. The best ones are nasty. And so we saw that from Zach Rice and Travis Shaw. 
Anything else, defensive line, offensive line? Somebody mentioned, and we talked about Diego Pounds. I think Diego Pounds could legitimately be the left tackle at some point in the season. I don't know if that's a reach. I think that's a little. I think that's a little early. It's a bit of a reach. You know, he's 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 got he's got a ways to go. But I thought I thought he showed enough today that I was pleased with what I saw in terms of him being able to hold his water when he was matched up against some guys uh, that, that I, I was satisfied with that. Is he, you know, did he still look like a backup to me? Yes. Is he ready to take that job and run? I don't think so, but he looked like a guy who, who is going to be, who's going to be ready and, and is going to be a good player at some point, whether that's, you know, at some point this year, you know, there, there's a lot of room to improve during camp. Or whether that's you know being ready for next year or mid year sometime, I don't know. But to me, he he's he's showing some signs of being of being a guy that that they can start to to uh, consider as, as getting closer. Uh, yeah. The other guy, by the way, that stood out both in pass rush. He's the one guy that went back and forth. You know, he did pass rush first and then ran out and did pass scale. Was Amari Gainer? Now, you know, I already you know I've spent a lot of time on Amari in the past. I've already told y'all, you know, he's, he's going to be pretty good, but, uh, I know, uh, uh, I know we, we, we talked about him a little bit afterwards as well. And, you know, there was, I think all three of us noticed that, that he's going to be a good player for Carolina and in the inside run, some of what they did where they had him on the field in short yardage, he, he, he showed up, uh, you know, he's a physical player and, and brings it. I mean, he's one of those guys, he brings it every play. So one, uh, and, one and thing he did, that, yeah, especially on that. But I, the way he was able to cover, whether it was a back out of the backfield or even covering tight ends, you know, I thought that that portion there, it, we've seen when Carolina's had has had defensive ends or jacks that couldn't cover. I thought Gainer certainly fills that void and gives Carolina's defense an added dimension. But like you said, you've been talking about him, and we talked about him a lot. He's gonna. He's going to make this defense better. And then you got Rucker. You can put them both out on the same time. I mean, Carolina, the Havoc numbers that we've talked about, if they don't go up significantly this year, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Well, if they don't go up significantly this year, then that means that this offensive line is terrible. Like really, really like Charles Barkley level terrible. (laughs) Right? Exactly. That, because they certainly looked the part. Because they they gave they 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 were they showed that they can that in practice they showed that they should be able to do some things and be disruptive. Now, if they're having in that much success, and then they can't do it against anybody else, that's a real bad sign. Yep, yep. And again, September second, Tyler Wood asked. I'm curious to know what road, uh, running back rotation looked like in today's inside run drill as well. Jason, from my vantage point, it looked like they were rotating them through. It looks like Hampton is probably the one at this point, but they rotate them so many times to give them opportunities. What did you see with the running backs? Yeah, every every one of the backs got basically even reps, uh, which I would expect at this stage of camp. Um, you know, uh, I think uh, I think British was the first guy out there. I don't know that that really matters given how they how they rotated him. Um, I thought the guy that looked the best of them was Hampton. Uh, he he had a good day today. There was one run that he had on, a, I think it was an outside zone where, you know, he got a little bit, 
ahead of his read. So his cutback wasn't seem what wasn't seamless. And he missed his, he missed his, his spot, missed his lane by about half a yard. Uh, if he'd have been just a little more patient, you know, Javante Williams patient and then waited for, for the flow and cut back, he'd had a, a decent play and instead, you know, kind of got caught up in traffic in the, in the backfield as he was trying to find that, uh, which is, you know, what he did a lot last year on, on different things. But as a whole, I thought he looked like his eyes and his feet were more in sync than they'd been last year. And he was more patient as a whole, looked like he was, you know, running with his eyes up instead of, you know, his eyes closed as it were, as we talked about in, in some scouting stuff about the running backs. Um, and I do think the way that they're blocking certain stuff, particularly on the, on the inside zone stuff and some of the, um, some of the way that they're, they're doing some inside zone and some like veer type blocking is, is, is helpful to a back like him. Cause there, there are a few cases where, you know, this is, you, you think about the veer and shoot that the Bryles tree has run for years. And, and of course that's where Randy Clements comes from. And, and some of what they're doing in the run game and the way that they're teaching certain run concepts uh, dovetails with that kind of approach. And what that's going to mean is you're going to get more double teams at the point of attack and you're trying to move guys backwards and get the back moving forward and just let him find, you know, sort of pick his seam as he's moving north south that to me is a pretty good fit it looked today to be a pretty good fit for what hampton does what he brings to the table as a back so uh based on what i saw today i thought he looked good um you know hood didn't get a whole lot of great blocking in front of him on any but he had a he had he had a couple uh, a couple runs where he maximized what he could get uh you know i thought green green was green looked about like he did last year he was fine he's you know he's a good back uh, and Petaway, you know, he, he, he got his, he got his reps, uh, kind of got tangled up with his feet on, on one of them, but you know, nothing really to, uh, that, that stood out there on that. And again, it's a limited number of reps, but, uh, you know, all of them are getting reps right now. And I, I would guess coming out of today, the guy that, that would be at the top of the list would probably be Hampton. Yeah, long way to go until September 2nd. But, you know, I think for what they're trying to do, to your point, what they're trying to do in the run game, you know, it's got to be – it's Hampton's time to shine with that type of style that they're going to play. But I think they've got some other options. Somebody asked in the chat, uh, well, let, let, let me ask you about Tyler Thompson. Uh, I think he physically looks good. He, he is a, your typical – guy that just came from high school he needs weight um and all but you know i think he's going to be a good player for north carolina he, he's he's got the edge ability to to make noise there he's just got to grow i mean you're talking about a high school senior slash college freshman versus like we talked about on the offensive line six-year college guys i mean there's a, a large difference there he looks like a 220 pound edge yeah and, and 220 pound edges make may may splash but they also get swallowed up by you know a 45 year old tackle <laughs> if they get that opportunity uh let me look at uh i'm going through the questions and of course if you've got questions for jason staples drop them in here we'll get a lot of these at the end of the show i wanted to flip over to um seven on seven jason um, and we can just do the obligatory uh, Elijah Husey portion of the show. 
um, had an interception today. He said in his interview um, yesterday after practice or earlier in the week after practice that playing against a guy like Drake, he's so good and he's always on point. You got to pick your opportunities and you got to make the play when your opportunity comes. And he made one today getting an interception. Questionable where Drake was going with that ball. It could have been a miscommunication between Tez and Drake um, or an overthrow on an out route that Amari Gaynor had covered or an out, a little flat play to Morales. What do you think of Huzzy today in live action? He, anything he changed? He didn't do anything that changed my mind about him. So, you know, the thing about it is I think that was a like a little sale type concept where you had an out underneath a, a go and, you know, Drake was uh, trying to get it out there and Gainer, I think, got tied up with the uh, with the with the or the, the tight end never got off Gainer. I think I think that's what happened. But the main thing there is Huzzy is in position. And one thing that he does, and he's done this in basically every every time I've I've watched him, uh, every time I've actually watched him, when there's been a play to be made, he makes it. He just comes up with a football. He gets his hands on the football, and uh, you know, yet another example of like he's well, there there that guy is in the right spot. Wow, he's really lucky all the time, and just happens to catch it every time. At certain point, it ain't luck. And, you know, that, that could go a long way too. So don't want to belabor it because, you know, we've talked plenty about Huzzy and we'll, we'll see, you know, knock on wood that he uh, actually works his way through camp fully healthy and, and everybody's able to see what he's able to do, uh, you know, starting in, starting in Charlotte this, uh, this year. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, not, not a whole lot really to, to discuss beyond that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he, he, he's going to be the guy, and he stays healthy. He's going to be the guy in that secondary. Tayon Holloway, another one. We've talked about him. thought he looked pretty good today again. Um, when you've got injuries and somebody on the message board or something mentioned it looks like the defensive backfield um, is going to be the position du jour of the injuries this year so far. Which they've got some depth there. I mean, if they're, if, if they're going to have some injuries, I mean, they, they do still have some depth there. Yeah, so they can absorb some of those. Again, first day of practice. Um, Drake was Drake. Uh, the backup quarterbacks need some work. Uh, you know, they need to continue to get better. Check out what we said on the Inside Carolina um, practice scoop there on, on those guys. Um, but obviously, Drake needs to stay healthy. I, I'm going to talk about the tight ends briefly, Jason, because I think this garners some discussion from us. Is I, I think Joe, uh, John Copenhaver is number one tight end. And, and I think that he's going to have a big year. What'd you see from those guys? I think Morales is going to make play, plays. Bryson Nesbitt, I really didn't notice a ton today. Um, but Copenhaver, I mean, he's been that guy so far for me. Yeah, you know, he he had the one uh, long touchdown in the Y cross concept that uh, the thing that surprised me was that he was able to outrun the safeties. So, you know, on that concept, it's tough on the defensive backs, you know, in, in, in Pascal, especially, you know, it's tough on the defensive backs because you got a guy that's running against the grain uh, and, you know, you kind of in a game are depending on getting some disruption on the quarterback to prevent that. But uh, you still expect the safeties to be able to, you know, catch, catch your tight end there. And, you know, he, he finished it. So that that tells me that he's he's put in the work in the offseason on that. Uh, and physically he's 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 looking pretty good. 
you know, of the three guys, I think he probably is the, you know, was the best blocker overall last year. Um, I saw him struggle a little bit as a blocker today. Some, I mean, one especially memorable one was where he, uh, they were running a split zone concept where, you know, the uh, sniffer, the, uh, the, the tight end slash H back is coming across the, the formation to kick out. And it just so happened that the guy he wound up face to face with was, uh, was number five. <laughs> it's not exactly what you want. If you're the, if you're the say, if you're the, uh, the, um, the, you know, 240 pound, H back coming across the formation. And now all of a sudden the guy you've got to put your shoulder into is Ritzy and Ritzy kind of made him go backwards a little bit. That was memorable. But you know, the thing was he, he still finished the block just kind of went backwards with it, but I'd like to see more physicality out of the tight ends as a whole. Um, all three, which, guys. Is, some, which is something you've said all during your scouting reports yeah. as well. Yeah. I'd like to see more of it. I think of, of those guys, you know, he's, he's a guy to bet on, to do more, more of that. What I'm, what I saw more of today is evidence that he's growing as a, as a receiver. And the more he becomes a complete player in that respect, the more he's going to earn time relative to the others. So, yeah, I think he's, he's, he's developing. He's going to be a guy that's going to have a lot of yards this year uh, with Drake may Drake likes to throw over the middle. He likes to throw to the, to the tight ends and to the slots and all that. Uh, likes to throw to those guys, and you know, Copenhaver is going to benefit from that. Yeah, I agree. I'm going over under 350 yards for our over under show Oof. later. Towards Might be on the number there, uh, and uh, so that'll be one of those discussions when we get to that. Um, receiver wise, we we talked about with Adam. Of course, the Tez Walker news is the biggest news of the day. Um, if he is not able to play, I, um, I know who's. That changes a lot, but you know, a guy like JJ Jones, his eyes have to pop open really wide, and uh, Kobe Paysauer, same there. I mean, it's going to change the offense. Just your take on that side of it. I don't want to talk about the eligibility issue. I think he better be eligible. That's all I got to say. I mean, come on, make the right. I mean, but trust in the NCAA to do the right thing is probably not your best. Yeah probably not the best thing to do but just from a purely football standpoint if walker's not out there how does that change the offense change chip Lindsay's? because i'm gonna be frank and, and see if you agree here i think chip Lindsay's under a ton of pressure this year um to produce a quality if not elite offense with what north carolina has on the field losing tez walker if that happens if that happens is a gigantic uh, deal that puts even more pressure on Lindsay and the rest of the guys who steps up. Well, first of all, I, I agree with you. I mean, Lindsay took a, this was a difficult job for Lindsay to take just because look, Phil Longo's put up phenomenal numbers the last few years. Right. So Lindsay could direct a, the best offense he's ever coordinated. And it would still potentially not be as, as good statistically as what Phil Longo's had the last few years. That's a tough spot to walk into. You know, you got a lot of expectations there. You're walking in and, you know, everybody says, well, you know, you got Drake May. That makes it easy. Well, yeah, that also means that your expectations start, you know, at, at 10. You got to turn it up to 11 just to impress. Right? So, 
yeah, that's that's a hard thing. Now, the, the thing that that changes with Tez is, you know, I've got Tez as a double digit touchdown guy this year coming into the year. And most of those on vertical routes or the kind of like, you know, uh, tunnel screen type thing where you just get the guy the ball or you just throw it up and he just scores. He just changes the numbers on the scoreboard for you. Those guys make it a lot easier to have a quality offense, right? If you've got a guy where when you just throw it up, you know that let's say you throw four deep balls his way over the course of of a game you know one of those four is going to the house. Well, geez, throw them eight, (laughs) right? So that's what changes is that you're not just talking about a guy that goes up and makes a catch for, you know, a 25-yard gain. You're talking about a guy that runs and hides because nobody catches him. That changes your offense, and that changes your offense too because defenses start to tilt their coverages. They start to play different fronts. They start to do things differently to protect against that. They know, that okay, that guy can't run with that guy, so we've got to keep this guy over top, and we're going to rotate down there. Now you got single coverage over here. Yeah. And now that guy's wide open a bunch, right? Or now the guy in the slot, now, you're, now McCollum has a one-on-one because they're worried about getting beat over the top with him. Now McCollum can go on a inside vertical from the slot and he's got a one-on-one with a slot corner. Good luck. Right? That's the sort of thing that that a Tez Walker allows you to do. He changes your offense. And all you have to do is look at Clemson the last few years. We've talked about this, right? What did I mean, what did we talk about a couple of years ago? The difference we you know, we all talked about what's the difference really between Clemson and 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 North Carolina? Well, okay, up front we 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 talked about that. But the other thing that Clemson has always had is they've always had that dude outside. The six four guy that can fly. Right. You know, Mike Williams, T. Higgins, you know, that whole group of guys, Nuke, Sammy, all those guys, right? They've got that dude out there that you know you can't single cover. And if you single cover Sammy Watkins, well, you know, that's on you. (laughs) That's just a bad decision, right? So that's the thing. And how did did Clemson, with less overall talent, beat Alabama twice for national titles? Alabama's corners couldn't cover their outside wide receivers. And when in doubt... They just threw it up to those guys, and they and they scored. And then Alabama started doubling them, and all of a sudden, yeah, their little slot receivers just making out making Nick Saban bite through his own teeth. <laughs> and then they double that guy, and then Deshaun takes off, right? Or you know, Trevor takes off. So that's that's what that those outside dudes who can make those big plays in the vertical game. That's how they change the game for you. And Tez is that. And I'm, I don't think they have another one quite – I mean, they, they definitely don't have another one quite like that on this team. They've got other good quality receivers, but nobody else that's running like that at that size and, you know, with that kind of just run and hide speed. I mean, go back to the Baylor teams, right? They always had a couple guys where they're going to line them up way out wide with those wide splits. You single cover them, and he's just going to run vertical, and they're just going to throw it. And it's like, well, they're playing PlayStation. That's cheating, <laughs> right? Exactly. Well, that's what that guy gives you. So that's what makes it hard. If he doesn't play, first of all, it's a travesty 
and it's unjust to the young man because he transferred under one rule and then they changed it after that. And to me, you should, it is wrong to change the rules on someone after they've actually started playing the game. You play by the rules as they were when you started the game. That's the rule. That's how it should always be. So all things otherwise, that, that, that's where I come down on this. Um, but if, he, if he's not able to play, then you're going to need to get some big plays out of the other guys. And, you know, I think that means, you know, you mentioned JJ. JJ's going to play. He's going to play as an outside receiver. You know, he's probably right now in the starting slot on the outside opposite where Tez was. Now it's really Green and Pesor that have to – have to 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 be that guy on the outside like the guy that would have to step up the most probably be green because he's that bigger guy with you know sort of a dynamic sort of downfield capacity and you know you'd like to see gavin blackwell blackwell's probably the next fastest wide receiver he'd have to step in and do some things but really blackwell green and pesor would have to each up their game so much more because and, and create big plays because Tez wouldn't be out there to do that. And it would be harder because when those guys are out there with Tez, they're all getting single coverage. So yeah, very much, much more difficult situation. Yeah. Imagine a situation that Nate McCollum is single covered by a slot record slot corner over and over for this North Carolina. With, with Drake May throwing to him. Yeah. I mean you're talking about money. You mentioned PlayStation and money plays. That's one. And so that is from a purely football standpoint, it's a big deal for this offense, a big deal for, for Carolina. But like we talked about earlier, it's a huge deal for the, the person that Tez Walker is and his family and all that. So we'll see how it shakes out. Talking to Jason Staples here, live reaction day one in pads. We're longer than an hour, but we might have to go a little bit longer because I've got some questions for you, and I'm going to – We can uh, rapid fire these. Yeah, we can rapid fire. John Thorpe has been pretty active in the chat. Appreciate you joining. Will Shaw take Hester's spot before the end of the season? That's a long time to ask, but I I think Travis Shaw still, from what I've seen, is a 25-30 snap guy max. And I don't know if that's quote-unquote starter reps. It could be if North Carolina can get a massive rotation going on in there. What do you think about that, Jason? Well, you know, I, I first of all, I agree with what you just said, that I think he's a guy that you get, you know, 25-30 reps out of. If you can get 25-30 good reps out of, out of him, you feel great. And whether that's starting or not is, is less relevant. Secondly – I'm not sure that's Hester's spot because Tamari Fox may well be that spot, take that spot, right? It may be Tamari Fox's spot with Hester as the backup and then Shaw trying to get reps from those guys, both of them. Don't forget Fox. And of those three, so far, Fox has been the best one to my eye. So, you know, it's a good problem to have. (laughs) You'd like You'd, you'd like those three guys to each be taking, you know, 25, 30 snaps, you know, between, you know, let's say one guy takes 30, the other two guys take 20, 25. That's, that's kind of your ideal. Cause then they can lay it all out there for three, four plays at a time and then run to the sideline. And the other guy comes on and he's fresh. That's what you want. And I think we'll probably see a good bit of that this year. 
And John, your other question was, will Shaw be starting before the bye week? That's sort of your answer there. Um, Tamari Fox, do I have something to say about that? Any chance, let's go here. AR, any chance a freshman can step up in the secondary? Caleb Cost. I don't know if it's Cost. If I had to pick a freshman that's a starter in the secondary, it would be Tayon Holloway. And he's a um, red shirt, yeah. And, and he's a red shirt. Cost, um, Cost was beat badly on the Nate McCollum drop today. Uh, Nate dropped a pass. It was probably the most surprising thing of practice until um, the Tez Walker news came out. What do you, Your overall thoughts here on the secondary as a whole, Jason? I think Don Chapman's a pretty good player. He'll be a safety. I think Derek Allen was playing a lot of safety today with guys out. Elijah Huzzy's 100%. Not coming off the field, um, you know, unless there's an emergency of some sort. What do you think about the other positions out there? To me, I, I think this the right as of right now, I think the secondary is pretty well accounted for at the three corners. I think you got Huzzy, you got uh, you got twenty nine, you got uh, Marcus Allen as the two main corners when they're in a two corner situation, it's those two guys. And then you have the bigger, the bigger star, maybe Boykins in there as the bigger star, you know, whenever he's healthy. Uh, and then when you move Huzzy inside, and I think they're going to do that a good bit this year. Uh, the third corner is Tayon Holloway. He's a guy I didn't even, I didn't even scout before this year watching him through two days that we've been able to observe practice. He's, he's definitely the next corner. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's played really, really well. He's impressed me. Uh, he would be the next guy. So those are your three corners. Uh, after that, you know, you probably have, uh, Armani Chapman as the, as the fourth corner. Right looked now. Better today. He did look better. He, he looked better than he has at any point. And again, he was hurt in the spring, all that. So, you know, he looked, he's not as fast as the other three, but you know, you can see the experience. He does not, he does not make a whole lot of mistakes. Yeah. So, you know, you have to beat him. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a good thing. Um, and then, you know, like you said, the safeties, you got returners, you got returning starters, you got Chapman. And I know, you know, he's not a inside Carolina favorite among fans, but he was better last year than a lot of people think. Uh, and then, you know, I think, I think 27, I, I think uh, Geo Biggers, you know, he's the odds on favorite to hold on to that spot. And, you know, he played basically the entire year last year banged up. And, you know, if he's healthy, I think he's a different player. He was a better player two years ago than he was last year. And I think a lot of that had to do with health. So those two are going to be, I think right now are, are slated to be your starters. And then the third guy at, at safety, I think is, is, uh, is Allen is Derek Allen. And he'll, he's got a chance to contend to try to take some reps and, and take one of those spots from one of the other two. But, I think right now he's still a little behind those guys. Yeah, and then you have Will Hardy and Stick Lane out there as well. I mean, yeah, I, we have done these podcasts over the years where we would talk about the starters and maybe one other guy, and that was basically it across the board. And, and now Carolina has some depth at some key positions. A couple more chats. Uh, Jeffrey Polly asked about injuries. Um, you know, we, there's not a whole lot of talk about injuries. Cavasso's injury is significant. Um, how significant we'll find out how long he'll be out. Guys have been dinged up, just normal stuff, but Cavasso's would be the most serious of the bunch. Um, RJ Grigsby, a backup offensive lineman, has missed some time in practice. So that one's covered there. A uh, couple questions about Tez's waiver situation. And we, 
You would think he wins that appeal, but who knows with the NCAA? I think we all agree with that. Vince Edwards says if the appeal is denied, is this a situation where Carolina gets a lawyer involved? Um, well, you know, I'm from a family of lawyers, so I'm not one of those anti-lawyer people. But when lawyers involved, things usually take a while. And I could see a situation where Tez is cleared the day before the ACC championship game. And I only jest, but that's how the NCAA rolls. Tyler Woods. <laughs> Tyler Woods. My ideal OL is Diego Pound showing enough to win the LT spot so they can move Barnes back to one of the guard spots. I think that would that could be ideal, but to Jason's point earlier, don't think Diego's really ready for that. At this point, he does look good. And he's a hilarious young man. Eric. Russ says, uh, if Tez is out, who's under most pressure to fill the void? We talked about that a little bit. Um, J.J. Jones, Paysor, um, Andre Green. You know, we've heard about I, him I think, forever. I, I think it puts Andre Green maybe maybe the most pressure on him to be to step up more. Yep, yep, I agree with that. How much 13 personnel did you see? I don't know that we've seen any 13 personnel. An inside run? You didn't see any? Well, I'm talking about, yeah, I guess we saw it there. but. How much do you think they'll see during the season? Look realistically, how much would they run that? Not goal line. Oh, not goal line. I, I don't think we'll see thirteen personnel once this year. Goal line. Goal line. It may happen. Yeah, goal line. I wouldn't be surprised. Although I would be more. I would be. I would expect more twelve personnel because uh, because McCollum is so hard to cover uh, in in those situations. You go 12 personnel and have him as your lone receiver out, out wide and let him try to shake a guy. You know, there's some things you can do with that. Uh, you know, you if you're going to go 13, then you probably line up 18 out wide, you know, as a, as a jump ball threat. So, you know, that, you know, and that really is Nesbitt's, you know, that's his, that's his thing is yep. being, being that kind of goal line, uh, you know, red zone type threat, throwing the ball up. So, yeah, I don't see a whole lot of 13 in that, in that case. And the other thing you got to remember is if you're doing 13 personnel and Nesbitt split, it's really not 13 personnel. You know, he, he's just a hybrid tight end receiver lined up at receiver. So, you know, I don't think we'll see a lot of it, but the, the thing is that they can go big in practice and, and help serve the defense on that and really, really give them something to look at. Yeah. Uh, here's a good question. I think and this could be a, podcast in itself Jimbo Whitfield says what changes to have made the offense what changes have been made in the offense to prevent quote-unquote Drake's drop-off and what happened like what happened the last four games of the year well I think Chip Lindsay and Randy Clements were those direct changes Jason just your thoughts on that question yeah I think the biggest thing is that uh if you asked Chip and, and Mac and, and the offensive staff that question, they would actually answer you with something like, well, the biggest change is we're going to be able to run the ball better. We're going to dang well try to run the ball better. You know, that's, that's kind of going to be their probably default answer. And, you know, that's a TB, TBD, right? Well, Because the real question is, okay, great. You're, gonna put, you're putting more emphasis on running the football. That's good. That's good. But Phil Longo like to run the football too he may be an air raid coach but he ran the football a lot and actually some of the biggest problems carolina had last year and those specifically those four games if you look at what 
they really ran into is they couldn't run the football in those games, not with the kind of success that they that that they needed. As those teams started to change their approach a little bit, so what happens if you do run into a team that's good enough defensively to take away your running game? What counters do you have there, right? So that's really what this what this question gets to, and I think the biggest thing is that they are they're going to take more of a of a game by game like true game planning approach, a little bit more of a pro approach in terms of how they're they're trying to build some wrinkles in and have a little bit more diversity in what they're doing in in the passing game. So, uh, you know, instead of basically going back to you know, these are our eight core pass concepts and this is what we're going to run. And, you know, when they come out and we have a little bit less, tr- less success with this, well, we're still going to run it because it's got answers built in and we're just going to keep running snag. We're going to keep running mesh. I'm going to keep running, you know, four verts and, you know, gonna, we're going to eventually rep it well, or we're eventually going to do it well enough that it's going to work. They're going to have a little bit more baked in into each game plan for some specific stuff, some shots uh, and some counters based on what they, on, on what the opposing team likes to do. So I think we'll see a little bit more, more customized game planning. That'll be probably the biggest difference. Cause I mean, you're still going to see a lot of snag smash four verts, Y cross. I mean, all these, uh, you know, mesh typical air raid passing staples. They're still doing that. Right, they're still doing all of those things. I mean, a lot of what they did, they just maintained a lot of of long what Longo did. The biggest thing is that they're supplementing that with a few things that they think are good counters for when teams try to take away some of what they did. And I'm certainly not going to get into details of what some of those counters might be in a preseason podcast before they do them. This will be the sort of thing that we might cover in a you know week of after the fact post-mortem here's what they did to counter and here's why it worked or didn't work film session we'll see a few of those this year uh but i'm not uh, i'm definitely not going to uh to put anything like that out there right now yeah so uh state somebody in the chat asked what what shows we have to look forward to just as an aside we're gonna have inside carolina live on saturdays the day after with jason and buck on sunday and myself uh we will have on the beat live we will have Noon Dish with Don to cover the recruiting aspect of it. We will have the Game Plan podcast on Thursday nights with Jason, Greg, and I. Um, so we got you covered. How can anybody listen to that much? That is a lot. Wow. How, how can anybody listen to me that much? <laughs> I mean, I'm fascinated. There's 400 people in the chat tonight, and it's awesome that you guys joined, but they're here to see you. We got we got some of, we got some of the best subscribers and fans in the in the United States. We really do. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. But yeah, we we will cover the waterfront nearly every week forever. <laughs> and um yeah, and it starts live in Charlotte at uh I don't know what the name of the Frothy Beard Brewery is where we're doing the Inside Carolina Tailgate show like we did last year. Same spot for the ACC Championship game, same spot for the South Carolina bowl game years ago. Oh, and VIP. Oh, somebody mentioned John Grisham. Vipolis will have his podcast. We'll announce what's going on with that on Mondays. I mean, just so you love it. You're going to have plenty of it. Your addiction will be filled by Inside Carolina 
Um, you will not be saying, let me get some of them inside Carolina podcast because they will be handy every week. So let's rapid more- fire these last few. All right. Yep. Let's do how did DJ Jones look today in pads? To be honest with you, I didn't really notice him other than in the kick. Did I see him? Yeah, he was back there returning kicks. Sort of uh, dovetails into the other question. Thoughts on who's going to be primary punt and kick returners? I think McCollum will be involved in both. Jason, we were talking about the returners. What did you see out there? There was, it was a lot of guys working out at kickoff return, especially. Yeah, I think McCollum is is probably the – I mean, he's the odds-on guy for for punt return. Huzzy's another guy that that if they need a guy to go out and catch a punt and fair catch, he's he, he catches it so well. And we saw him catching punts out there the other day. And he did it so easily. It's like, well, you know, there's your fair catch punt guy. If you if you really need to make sure you, you somebody's going to catch it, uh, but I think McCollum is the odds on guy there. Uh, he's going to almost certainly return kicks as well. And then, uh, you know, we saw basically all the all the you know backs that you'd think. Uh, George Petaway is a guy that that was back there. Uh, Omarion was back there. Caleb Hood was back there. DJ Jones was back there. All those guys took reps at it. If I had to guess, you know, my so my, just letting you know my philosophy, and it may be a little different from what Mac Brown chooses to do on this. You know, he's going to be the one that makes the final call on this. My philosophy on this is, in general, if you've got a dynamic returner who can return kicks and be super special, then you put him back there. Otherwise, you go with backup running backs or or dynamic wide receivers just because of the way today's game works. And it's a dangerous situation as well. You're not getting a ton of kickoff returns as it is. And, you know, the ones that you do get, there's a lot of, of collisions and all of that. So you want to, you know, kind of use backups. So if it were me, you know, McCollum has done it enough that maybe you think he's a dynamic enough guy to be your number one. And so I'm just going to assume that that's probably the case. And the number, the, the next guy that I'd probably have out there is 23. I think, I think Petaway with his, uh, home run speed there and and all of that is is a guy that uh, probably should get a look there and if Hampton's not starting at running back then you know I can understand putting him back there but you know I think Petaway that might be a good spot for him to really make a difference I agree with you Tyler Woods backup three technique Ritzy Ritzy yeah there you go uh we've talked about Bull Hill we've talked about some of the differences with Lindsay and Longo's offense Trey's a new name I see. Star position if Boykins is out. Who who's the backup star? Huzzy can play it. Yeah, Huzzy's Huzzy's playing it. Uh, you know, I think that would be DJ right now. Uh, you know, Stick Lane is a guy that they'll that they'll work in there, but you know, he was starting at he was starting out at safety. Uh, but they, you know, they've had the intention of getting him some reps at, at star just in case. So if Boykins is out for any length of time, then I wouldn't be surprised to see Stick get some time there. But if I had to guess right now, the the guy that would go in instead of Boykins, if Boykins is out for extended time, would be DJ. And then Huzzy would play over there as well. The other thing to consider, uh, based on what we saw today in uh, in the uh, in the skele- in the past Skelly, is I also wouldn't be surprised to see Amari Gaynor get some star time against, you know, there's certain teams that like to go big personnel. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, again, if Boykins is not out there, I wouldn't be surprised to see Gaynor actually slide up to star, which he's played a lot of. <laughs> you know, that was his that was his position for a full season at Florida State. Uh, and he's a guy that can do that uh, and, and be a, a dynamic player there. So they've got several options that can play there. Like I said, it'd probably be DJ. I wouldn't be surprised to see Amari get the get get some reps there if uh, if 
Boykins was out for any length of time. And then of course on passing situations or against really solid passing teams, uh, they'll, they'll play with Huzzy on the inside a lot more because they, I think they, they really feel like with, uh, with Marcus Allen and Tayon Holloway, they're going to be able to, to cover on the outside and then Huzzy makes them lock down on the inside. Yeah, there will be no question about um, big tight ends being able to bully a star if Amari Gainer's in that position. <laughs> I would that have loved dude, to have seen man. that matchup, um, the Notre Dame tight end versus him. That would have been quite the matchup there. Let's go, uh, Slagle. Your impressions of the team change, good or bad, compared to what we saw last week? I think overall pretty much the same, but – I think maybe some more concerns about the offensive line, just seeing that, seeing where they're at right now. I'd like to see them just, and, and the thing is it's almost, I have to preface this. It's unfair for me to say this in some ways, because the truth of the matter is, and you know, this Tommy beginning of, of camp, who is always ahead. The defense should be right. The defense yep. should always be winning early in camp. Always. Now they haven't the last couple of years. You know, we heard, we heard, you know, last year all about like, you know, the offense getting long runs and long plays and all this last couple of years, you know, first week of practice. And of course, some of us behind the scenes are going, Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> like that, that, that offense must be really, really good. But it turned out the defense was just not very good either. So just going to preface that, that, you know, my, my concerns on the offensive line, I do have some concerns after today and, and, uh, you know, I want to see, I want to see them, see see what they 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 look like. That's probably the biggest change. Although I don't know that that's much of a change. I went into last week already a little bit concerned about that. I'm probably a little more concerned about that after today. Um, otherwise, I think it was it's basically along the lines of what we what we thought last week. I thought the defensive line in general moved and and did things that corresponded more with the way they look than they have in a while. So, you know, that's a plus. A lot of questions coming in late. Slagle, you've had your allotment. They'll get answered, brother. You know that. We'll we'll talk about it It, as much as possible. Uh, How did the kicker look? Ryan Coe's got a leg. Ryan Coe can kick it a mile. Didn't miss one today. Yeah, and and so Carolina, at least on August the 8th, they're set at that position. Um, Happy, happy, happy. Um, Rewind. Just press rewind on this podcast. All those questions that you have there will be answered. Uh, you know, the backup linebackers got a lot of work on inside drill today or inside runs. They're the today. only guys that played it. Yeah, and so you got Deuce Caldwell is pretty active. Um, Sebastian Cheeks, Amari Campbell, those guys were out there. Got a lot of good reps for North Carolina. I was trying to find any more questions that we haven't covered, but I'm going to wrap with this one. Bull Hill. What's your way too early over under? I don't know if that meant eight wins or yeah, I think whatever. He's saying it, are over season. under eight wins in the regular season. Y'all know where I'm going. I mean, yeah, you're going twelve and zero. I know you. There's no question. They uh, if if this team wins only eight games, it will be a massive. What the world just happened in Chapel Hill? If this team with with Drake May healthy all season only wins eight games then that'll be a disappointment. Yep. They, they should win more than eight games. I've got over eight if Drake May finishes the season. And if he, you know, fin- plays through the whole season healthy, they should win over eight. Now, not having Tez Walker 
makes that a closer closer deal. Because with Tez, I, you know, I think this team goes toe to toe with Clemson and 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 makes that real interesting. Because you know he does he, he Clemson's going to want a single cover, and you know I think he's going to he's going to get his wins against those corners the same way that you know a few years back. You remember one of the, what one of the first plays of the game? What 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 did Howell do? Straight down that left sideline, right? Yep. And two went. Yep. Two went deuces, and you know ran right by Clemson, and that changed that game right away. You know, seven nothing right there, and that communicated to Clemson, oh, your first round draft pick who did get picked in the first round that year at corner can't run with our guy, right? So. Then, you know, some other things were game on after that. And I think Tez kind of does that for you in that kind of matchup. That's where he, you know, he's a, he's a game, a game changer and a matchup problem without him. you know, I think Clemson should be favored pretty heavily in that game, you know, unless somebody else really changes my mind. But, uh, you know, I think that that kind of player makes a difference, but I would go over eight right now, still, even with some concerns about the offensive line, but. Uh, if Drake May goes down, they could lose. They could win three. Yeah. Won't discuss that. Won't discuss the what ifs. We're only going to discuss facts, but we will do it on the over under podcast. Should be fun. Shout out to the folks in the chat. It's been close to three fifty four hundred of y'all in here. Um, a lot of folks tuning in to Inside Carolina to hear all the analysis from Jason Staples. Adam Smith, shout out to him for joining us early to talk Tez Walker in that situation. Stay tuned to Inside Carolina for all of that coverage. You know that if when it happens, Inside Carolina will report it um, and follow it. North Carolina opens the season September 2nd against South Carolina. Seems like so far away, but it's not. It's only three and a half weeks. It'll be here before you know it. Shout out to everybody that helped with the coverage today. Shout out to everybody that watched. And be be sure to stick with Inside Carolina. A lot of podcasts coming this week. Oh, and just a sneak preview. We're going to do an alignment or a realignment show, live roundtable on Thursday night. Should be quite interesting. I think Jason Staples might be on that one as well. Um, You know, just Buck's column. And if you're a VIP or Inside Carolina premium subscriber, you read it. Just when you thought you were out. Realignment rears its ugly head again. We'll talk about it yep. live. On and I'll Thursday keep my night. ear to the grindstone. It will be quite the uh, spirited contest between talking heads on Thursday night. Stay tuned for Noon Dish tomorrow at noon with Don Callahan. A lot of great work on the recruiting front. We'll get back to that. But anyway, Johnny T-shirt, you're our friends. You're their friends. They support you. We support you. Jason, as always, my friend. Retainer. <laughs>